Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. Today, I am joined by Scott Underwood, an artist that Big Jim had no problem saying he hated so much because he was so fucking good. But it's a good thing, right? He was, <laughs> that's the first thing. That I, I, you looked at me like I was really, really shocked, like I was going to say some shit that we shouldn't be saying. Oh, but Big Jim was like, I fucking hated work with him. I'm like, why? And I was like, because he was so much better than everybody else. He was like, he broke his hand, his dominant hand, and he was just drawing shit with his left hand, and it still looked better than half the shit I was doing. Um, you got so much as far as, like, recognition from not only fans, but your peers, man, as being one of the best artists anybody's ever worked for. And keeping on that point, man, I really wanted to know what was that first creative spark that kind of got you into drawing and, and how you ended up doing the career that you're doing now? Well, I always I always drew as far back as I can recall. So there was always an inherent part of what I was doing. Now, growing up, I kind of thought that I'd get into comic strips because I would anxiously read the comic strips every day in the newspaper. Um, but even by the time just before uh, I started at AKA, like comic strips were 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 dying already. Mm. And so uh, I got into storyboarding instead, which is kind of a close cousin of comic strips. So that's kind of how I ended up in in that area of it. I, I mean, it also would have depended if, what the jobs happened to have been when I got into the industry, that would probably be where I would have ended up. Um, it so happened it was storyboards, but I'm sure if I, you know, went for animation or something, maybe I would still be doing that. But just because it was like a kind of a product of, of that time in my life, like, ah, I don't know, I guess I'll do this. <laughs> What I love about, I don't want to assume you're Canadian, correct? I, yeah. I, know, I, I knew it was, but I always have to throw it out there. Um, you guys are some of the most humblest people I've ever met in my life. I have it with Jono all the time. I talk to Jono and he's like, yeah, it was, it was good. It was okay. I'm like, Jono, you were on the longest running cartoon on Cartoon Network history. I was like, it's okay to break your own arm, patting yourself on the back at least once, Jono. Can I get you to do it once? You guys are some of the most down-to-earth and humble people I've ever met in my life. Because if this was me, I'd be screaming it from the rooftops. I did this shit that everybody loved that lasted so long. Um, I mean, like I said, I absolutely love the show. I always wait for the filleting at the end of the uh, episode, telling you guys how much I loved the show and how great it was. Um, but I, I, like I said, man, thank you once again for coming on. Um, so when you went through comic strips, was it just you in the funny papers you were watching or were you an avid reader as far as comic book go? Or Oh, yeah, I loved comic books. Marvel Comics was uh, part of 
a staple thing that I grew up on. Mm. And now he's got uh, Spider-Man and um, usually five for a dollar comics at the flea market was oh, my yeah. was my thing. Uh, but it was uh, it was already distinctively Marvel. I, I didn't like DC growing up at all. So it was always uh, the Marvel stuff. But in terms of the comic strips, like I obviously Calvin and Hobbes and um, Garfield. Everyone loves Garfield at some point in their life. Um, but uh, yeah, comic strips. And I never I never really got too far into the comic strip before I went to to film school and just went with animation. I, you know, I always liked animation too, so it wasn't like a wasn't a drastic departure by any means. So what was it about Marvel that you liked so much and you just didn't like DC? I mean, you can't really see it in the back. I mean, here, I'll show you real quick. But I mean, those are all the trades and stuff down there. I'm primarily a DC guy. Um, and you can see all the Ninja Turtle shit. So there's a lot of indie stuff in there too. Um, but what was it specifically about Marvel that you liked so much compared to DC? It might have been, it might have just been that opinion handed over to me from my dad, who was also mm -hmm. a comic collector. Um, and I can't quite remember if that's the case, but I always just found Mar uh, DC comics really boring. <laughs> uh, and so, because there was Batmans and Supermans lying around the house too. Like mm -hmm. my dad had uh, hundreds and hundreds of comics. So I did have access and it was just like, yeah, Batman is just, normal guy he's just really good <laughs> no i didn't like it i liked uh you know power man and iron fist i remember having a lot of those and uh speedball the masked marvel that was good stuff and uh and then the first dc comic i finally got was i'm like oh i have to get this comic i have to it was because it was superman and the quick bunny together at last superman and the quick bunny yeah the quick bunny from nestle's quick oh chocolate milk <laughs> powder they were in their own comic together and talk about like, a crossover right. fin finally dc uh, finally dc's doing something good <laughs> that's what got you the nest quick bunny and superman huh oh yeah that's uh, a fan. I, I, I had to look at that one. I mean, I never knew they uh, they had that quite huge of a crossover. Um, oh, it's big. <laughs> one one issue. That's it. One issue. That, that's all it took. Yeah, huh? okay. But uh, nonetheless, man, uh, when I go and look at whoever I have on, it, it, it always comes up as far as like where you guys got your start. And you go and talk about I love drawing from such a young age and a lot of it had to do with comic strips and that kind of evolved into animation. When you went to film school, you started doing more animation for a little while and then you bounce back and forth here and there. When you were going through uh, film, film school, uh, did AKA come up right at the end or were you still doing film school? still attending film school? Uh, no, it was, it was I didn't even have a clue that AKA existed throughout film school. And even after I graduated from film school, still didn't know. It was only when I finally started looking for a job after film school that I was at the school picking up like a VHS, a VHS of my student film. And uh, one of the instructors there was like, hey, you should apply down the street here at 
AKA cartoon. I'd never heard of it. Oh, okay. So I went and I applied there. I got a test, storyboard test, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I didn't really even apply that many other places. I decided, me and a friend of mine decided to go for pizza instead. So <laughs> threw the, the rest of my uh, resumes in the trash. Yeah, in those days, there was no recycling bins on the streets. <laughs> Man, you were living so, on the edge. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't really care about like I wasn't anxious to get into the industry or anything. But mm -hmm. I did need to make some money, so that's where uh, that's where I just started applying at a couple places in town in Vancouver, and it so happened that AKA was one of them, but I had never heard of it. Now, when you when you said you were doing a test board, what does that entail? Do you just go in there and you draw their characters at that time, or did they just give you a whole bunch of different stuff to to really draw and flesh out? I uh, was so they gave it was already for Ed Ed and Eddie because mm. that the the that series was just starting mm. at AKA, and so the test entailed a paragraph of uh, it was kind of based on the Ed Touchables. Uh, mm cartoon and we were just given that paragraph and a storyboard template and say and you're like okay well let's see what you can do and so we as the test uh doer were, were to interpret that paragraph in whichever way uh we saw fit like it wasn't a script it was just a paragraph that we had to embellish upon yeah. so that's what they were looking for uh, to see if they wanted, you know, if you wanted you on board, what you could bring to the table from that uh, outline. Now, how, is this something you would have to do while you're there, or would you take it back home with you? Yeah, and you, you take it home because you're not hired. They don't know if they want you around yet. Yeah. So yeah, you take it home, and then I think yeah, I had a week to do it, if I remember correctly. Um, and then I just brought it back in and then wait until they they gave feedback or whatever. And I was lucky enough that uh, Danny liked the test enough that I got in there. And that 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 test is what Big Jim would have referred to because that test I did with my left hand because I had fractured my drawing hand at that time. That is fucking insane. I can't even tie my shoes with my left hand. And you're sitting here, like I said in the opening of the show, the longest running Cartoon Network show you drew with your left fucking hand on a tryout. That is. I will, I will say it was pretty crappy. Like it's <laughs> it's good, good enough to get a fucking job, though, man. I mean, that's, that's got to say some shit. This goes to show a testament of how, how great you are. And one thing that always came up whenever I started reaching out to a lot of the artists, because I started with the writers first. Um, and then it kind of dovetailed into, hey, man, get this guy on. Hey, get this guy on. Get this guy on. Uh, Jono specifically and Mike as well, they said that you never stopped drawing, whether you were in a meeting, whether you were talking to somebody, listening to somebody, you were always just go, 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 go. Is that something you do out of just, I don't want to say necessity, but is it like usually I'll sit there and I shake my leg, I bounce my leg. It's just a habit that I do. Is it the same concept as far as you? Like, I'm just going to sit here and draw some shit. Yeah, pretty much. There's like paper and pencils all over the the house here and just whenever i end up in the other room and then i'll just start drawing you know nothing good whatever just yeah that's just how time passes for me just drawing now Doodling. are you 
are you a hundred percent pen and paper or pencil and paper still, or do you do? No, no, I do most, most of the work, uh, on Cintiq and ever, ever since, uh, the end of Ed, Ed and Eddie, it's pretty much all been on Cintiq. So it's been a while, but, uh, yeah, like I still love drawing on, on paper. So like that's sketchbooks everywhere and just scraps mm -hmm. of paper, just drawn on them. Now, when you when you made the switch over after the Ed Boys, man, was it? I don't want to say a learning curve because obviously, when you're doing anything new, it's going to be a learning curve. But did you feel like you left or missed a whole bunch of steps in between from pen and paper to doing everything digital? Or oh yeah, I did, I did, I did uh, miss the pen and pencil and paper stuff for sure, absolutely. And it was only as that learning curve was progressing and you got into the quick way to resize your character that's that was helpful in getting into actually doing it on the computer because that was the worst part of the pencil and papers having to go to the photocopier to reduce uh reduce ed by 10 percent. you drew him too big there and you have to do that throughout this scene oh you drew eddie a little bit too small though so you might want to raise him five percent or shift over the background okay you know, you go to the photocopier but part of the photocopier experience was was good too. But uh, yeah, definitely a lot less time uh, resizing that kind of stuff. So one thing that always comes up whenever I talk to you guys is posted notes that Danny would leave people, whether it be you drew it, it looks like you drew it with your ass, um, no soul, uh, find a new job, insert, you know, whatever breakdown to build you back up comment i think they're fucking hysterical but it's because i'm on the outside looking in i can only imagine how depressing some of these might have been but one thing i always like asking is you guys to relive your trauma do you remember one specific post-it note that might have stuck out the most to you or one that you always keep in the back pocket uh there's a couple so the first first was early on uh season one eds and i was still fresh at drawing these guys and fresh out of school, still, still working on the craft. And I got a note basically saying, who is this Casper, the friendly ghost or whatever. And it was like, it was this panel of Jimmy that just looked like kind of standard cute Casper garbage. So yeah, I got that note. Um, and I'm sure there was many more, but I can't recall them. That one stuck out in my mind. And then the other one was, Later on, season maybe it was season two or three, but I had uh, I had a vacation wherein I went to Minnesota to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota, and then but I had invoiced for the previous week or whatever, and then I remember coming back to a post-it note and, and was something to the effect of uh, however much money as this guy went to see a ball of fucking string and I was like, ah, yeah, I did do that i still i i think i have that posted somewhere but it was good i i so i i just got done like i said talking to mike and john and he was showing me one of the scripts that he wrote um and it i can't remember the name of the episode uh, but mike got pulled from it 
because it was the uh, episode with Naz where everybody was infatuated with Naz and everybody was trying to win over Naz. And he put, uh, he showed me it was a D minus. Did he grade you guys the same way he graded writers? Did you guys have, you know, A's and B's and D minuses or were you guys completely separate? No, I, I don't even know if that was a consistent thing for the writers, but I mean, I guess I wouldn't know. But I, I think the, the rating system was based on how many post-it notes were in your board after you got it back. There's certainly no, no marks or anything, no. Did you, did you guys, and that was 100% a joke, that wasn't me being serious, uh, but did you guys, <laughs> did you guys treat it like a badge of honor? Did you guys try to outdo each other? Like, look at the one I got, look at the one I got. Uh, no, you didn't, you didn't want to get those. <laughs> the, the idea is not to get them. You know, that means you're not doing a very good board, I guess. So yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't compete by, by that, by that standard. No, uh, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't make any sense to. No, it's like uh crash and burn right yeah so when another thing that i found during the research doing you guys you guys a lot of you guys especially you big jim and i can't remember if joe i know i asked him when i talked to him but all of you guys were really really close to either getting out of art school getting out of film school like you were um what was it like that first day when you guys finally passed that board test you get hired for aka what was your first day on the job like Jeez, uh, I don't know if you remember that, but if I can remember it, right? I think I was probably still kind of like uh, not happy to have to go to work. So I was probably like, oh, I don't know, What's, what am I doing? I have to go to work, Just go on the transit for an hour and a bit to get here. I'm gonna sit here, but I think uh, I think it was it was a it was cool in the sense of like uh, right away it was like. Oh crap! I didn't learn a lot in the school because yeah. I don't know what the what I'm supposed to be doing. I go do this, uh, do this storyboard revision or whatever I had first. I was like, well, I uh, I don't know how to do that. Guess I better figure it out. But yeah, I think right away it was like right into the hot water. So sink or swim was evident. Yeah. From the get go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. It was good. Looking back, it was good. I think maybe at the time I was like, ah, it's not so good. Well, I got to imagine anytime you go and do something new or something for the first time, you get that. I can't remember the analogy, but it's a duck sitting on water. Everything looks calm on the top, but underneath the water, his legs are going a mile a minute. So I got to imagine, like I said, in any situation, especially a creative situation where you're just like, holy fuck, man, I just, I feel... Once you had a place, but you're like, ah, just man, it doesn't feel like I belong here. It doesn't feel like I deserve to be here, type of thing. So I can only yeah, there's, there's that for ways. sure. For sure, uh, that was a thing. Uh, how did... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just like, how how did I how did I end up here? Like, <laughs> like, around. Am I supposed to be here? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I hope no one notices. <laughs> Oh, the paychecks are still clearing. I guess I'm doing okay. Uh, do you remember that first moment you might have felt like, oh, shit, I do belong here? Or, oh, shit, man, I'm doing a great job. Do you remember that first moment you might have had? I think when there was a a time in season one where if you handed in your board early, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd get the remaining monies allotted to you for that board. And so I did that a couple times. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I like this. 
think I, I think I should be here. This is where yeah. I should be. Uh, that went away after season one, but at the time I was like, oh, I, I like this. Was it was it easier? I want to say easier because I just think it's a stupid question. But as the show progressed and as your time drawing something, because obviously when you do something once, it's difficult. But when you've done something 10,000 times, it becomes second nature. Um, but did it get progressively easier for you to be inside these characters and draw these characters as the show progressed? Or did it get harder because that bar kept getting raised every single season, every single episode? I think both actually there because mm. after doing it for so long the characters did become inherent like as as in boarding or whatever it's kind of li linear like mm. uh, drawing eddie doing whatever and something comes to you at that moment and you draw it right then and there and it makes sense that eddie would do that there it's not something that was preconceived by the writers or anything, but just like, well, he, he can't, he can't do this portion of activity. He would do this minuscule thing in the middle of that and kind of throwing those things in action and dialogue, stuff mm -hmm. like that was inherent, just came. And it wasn't always, you know, it wasn't always right, but, um, for a large part, it was it just kind of came out. But at the same time, as you say, like you didn't want to repeat something you already did. So as the seasons progressed, there was a little bit more head scratching, like, ah, oh, did that, did that, did that before. I don't know. So there was a challenge, but also you knew where that was coming from already. So you kind of knew how to adapt. Mm -hmm. to it if that makes any sense uh, uh yeah i mean it, it like i said more you do it obviously the easier it's going to get it but the more you do it you've got more content out there so you're like oh man i gotta be better this time or i can't do this because i've already done this you know yeah. so it, yeah. it it flexes a different muscle right it's almost like your left hand is taking over what you're talking about with drawing instead of your right hand it's something else to flex it's something else to get stronger it's something else to get better so 100 it, it makes a you know perfect sense um but as that show progressed, and this is something I always liked asking, and writers, it's a little bit different for characters, right? Because they write these characters, but you guys were writing a lot of the gags, a lot of, you know, obviously not dialogue, but you were writing a lot of the transitions and everything like that that would set up a punchline or a transition into another scene. Um, so when you first got on the show, if you can remember, um, what was probably your hardest character to draw? Who was your favorite character to draw? And did that change at all as the show progressed? Uh, the hardest characters from the get-go was Jimmy, Casper, and Naz. <laughs> Naz is tricky because she's a bit she's a bit skewed in the face, but not in a sense that makes her look skewed. She has a kind of a unique. Well, they all all the characters did have have. They're not symmetrical, but Naz was. If you got her a little bit wrong, then she just looked demented. <laughs> and I got it wrong many a time, so I know. But I think Eddie and Ed were probably probably my favorite to draw. Kevin Kevin too was pretty fun, just because he was kind of different. Mm -hmm. He had this vulture 
vulture neck sticking out, which <laughs> in some shows it kind of went away and it come back and whatever. As the seasons progressed, the board artists would focus in on different things and some episodes would become more rubber hosey than other ones and you kind of went through these progressions and you kind of would as there would be times where we'd be like let's let's kind of go back to the to the model uh from from before because we've we've gone so far one way we're like and it that's natural progression but it was kind of fun to go back and then go like oh well let's let's try to bring kevin back to season one kevin Mm -hmm. maybe not the same you know drawings same quality but bringing some of that energy from from where the characters came from but at the same time bringing it up to where we've progressed to at that point in in season three or four or whatever so that was that was pretty interesting to to and a challenge for sure so with that being said, man, who was, I don't want to say, what was your least favorite thing to draw? Because let's get away from the characters, because I feel like that's easy, the easiest thing to really pick on. I feel like you've probably been asked that thing a thousand times. But what was your most favorite thing to draw as far as scenery or backgrounds? And what was your least favorite thing to draw when it came to this show? Was there something that was just a pain in the ass every time you had to do it? I wasn't that good at backgrounds. And that's mostly due to my not putting them in until the last <laughs> step but they should have been put in throughout so that your staging is working uh with your scene but i i would always just kind of board everything kind of roughly yeah he's in the lane or i don't know where he is and then later go back in and be like okay now i gotta figure out how to make these backgrounds work mm-hmm. and i'd have like a a photocopy of kind of the backgrounds as I was going to try to map out where the character ended up. But had I thought of that at the beginning, then I wouldn't have had all that problem. But just the way I worked, I just, I'll just do the backgrounds later. So that was the thing. And then I didn't didn't really like drawing Kevin's bike for the longest time because it was like this mechanical thing. It was like, it always looked weird when I drew it. I think I got the hang of it eventually but yeah the bike the bloody bike that wasn't easy to draw at first even though it looks deceptively simple how how come was it just you didn't give a shit about his bike or well i I don't i never probably up to the at that point in my life maybe i drew a bike once before in my life i don't know so i was like i don't know how to draw a bike and it always just looked crappy you know but anyway let Cody uh, fix it. Can fix the <laughs> I mean, I, I I enjoyed it, man. I couldn't tell that there was uh, anything <laughs> anything off about that bike, if you will. Well, in the storyboard, the bike was awful. And then the <laughs> talent at uh, Yason Entertainment, they would uh, fix it. You know? I don't know, man. I think you left. I think you put a nice base you know base coat if you will you put the you put the lines in there they're like oh shit this is what a bike's supposed to look like we're gonna do exactly what scott said so that bike that they made it to post cut or after the edit man they fixed it in post they took your bike and we're just gonna leave it with that i want to make sure you get the credit for it i don't want the credit for the bike (laughs) uh but i mean one 
going off of that point, though, it was really cool to see how, depending on who storyboarded that episode, mm-hmm. like it would be put on model overseas, but you could still tell who drew which episode, um, who, who boarded it, because mm-hmm. it would come through in the final, even though, you know, they're supposed to all look on model at the end of the day so that was was cool it was kind of like we thought of that as kind of like how you could always tell a chuck jones bugs bunny from a bob clampett bugs bunny from a mckimson bugs bunny they're all bugs bunny but when you're watching as a kid you're like oh that's that bugs bunny yeah that daffy duck so there was was a bit of that that came through in the boards that was that was pretty cool so we would often just kind of sit in the screening room and go, oh, let's see. Ah, uh, oh, that's a wooey Kevin's bike. And then, oh, that's a big Jim's Kevin's bike. So it was good times. So out of all of you guys, who do you think drew Kevin's bike the best? Ah, that would be Kevin's. Well, it's probably, it would probably be Toomey who had to yeah. draw the bike properly. <laughs> So with with Kevin's bike and the lack thereof, just you just didn't feel like you, you you wanted to draw. Was it just the fact that it was just it's just something normal? You wanted to do more of the characters, and it was just something outside of the norm, or? Yeah, that was it. Probably that's pretty on the head. Like, yeah, it's just a normal bike. It was boring. I want to draw his bike. <laughs> now, was there anything that that when you when you're talking about, I could pick out mine, or I could pick out Jim's, or I could pick out insert whoever's. Obviously, everybody's got their different artistic style, or their flow, or they have something in there. Was there something signature that you always had to put in? Not so much like panel by panel or board by board, but in a Scott Underwood episode, was there something you always had to have in this episode or in a episode? Ah, I wonder. I wonder. I don't think so. But That's a good question because there's probably something that someone could tell mm-hmm. from my episodes that that is exists throughout, but I don't know what it would be. I think that would that would have to be a question for someone else. Okay. Because I, I didn't put anything on purpose. Let's just say, but yeah, I, I'm sure there's some sort of flair or something I did that that was in all of them. Maybe it was Ke- the way I did Kevin's bike. <laughs> Oh man, I like it. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one, but but I enjoy it, man. So speaking of uh, bikes, we talked about bikes so much, and one of the questions that uh, Big Jim I always asked, you know, hey man, if you guys could ask anything, or what should I ask this guy, or make sure you bring this up, it always comes up that way. Um, you had a run in with somebody's bike, man. I, I wonder if you want, might want to tell that story. <laughs> ah, Wooey's bike. <laughs> Wooey's bike. So uh we were aka was on the second floor of this building and i guess Wooly had uh forgot his bike lock that day and so he stored the bike in the stairwell and he put the lock on well he didn't couldn't put the lock on because he didn't have the key or whatever but he placed it in such a way that it looked like it was locked because there's mm-hmm. other companies in the building and maybe they would take the bike so i saw him do this or whatever however i knew 
And then I went and I moved the bike from floor two to floor three. And I put it up <laughs> on the stairwell on floor three. And then uh, we were going out for whatever break or lunch or something. Ah, your bike's gone. Someone stole your bike. He's freaking out. Because that's it was an expensive bike. Expensive. So he ran outside and he's looking in the alleys. He's looking down the street, runs down the street, runs there and back. Where's my bike? Where am I? He's panicked. And then he comes back inside. He, the bike is gone. And so I guess I was just howling at that point. And then I said, ah, the bike, the bike is upstairs or whatever. Now, thinking he would just uh, now join in the fun and laugh along. But instead, he chased me through the alleys of Vancouver. <laughs> Uh, the Vancouver streets until I was practically vomiting from uh, overexertion. He was none too happy that I did that to his bike. But, you know, it was worth it. Hey, man, at the end of the day, if it makes you laugh and it makes everybody else laugh, what's a little bit of vomit here and there from pure exhaustion, right? Oh, yeah, it was good. I mean, we're it was all just pranking each other all the time there. Like, the the culture, if you want to use that word, was like very much goofing around and joking around. Or I'd like bring in these, I had these pot, my mom makes these really good pies and she made me these pies and I bring in these pies to share with my fellow AKAans. And uh, like, was thought nothing of it that uh, Joel would take the pie and smash it in my face or whatever. <laughs> this, is, this is a pie. Now the pie is ruined. But that's kind of a classic, classic gag. So I guess you know we can't blame him. Did you? Did you? After you felt the pie running down your face, did you get a pie gag in on the Ed Boys? I can't. I'm sitting here trying to think of every episode that I've seen, and I can't remember if I've seen a pie. There's a pie. There's a couple pies, and I think they were in a Woody board, where they uh, the heads are like rent a clowns. Mm -hmm. I think there's pies in that one, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't supply any pie <laughs> gaggery for that. Do you remember what kind of pie he hit you with? Yeah, banana cream pie. Oh, that's fucking blasphemous, right there. Oh, it's a good pie. Oh, I can only. we like, I, I, we would have wrestling contests and stuff. Uh, on Fridays, and I remember like there was a fella there, Jason Surridge, I believe. Anyway, he had skinned his elbow pretty nasty on the in the wrestling match, and I thought, hey, I know a good thing. And then I, I took a packet of salt and I just Oof. snuck up behind him, and I poured the salt into the the pussy wound. He didn't like that all too much but anyway that's the kind of thing that would happen one time joel choked me he was choking me and i was passing out i was trying to get his attention but he thought oh no that's that's not a, that's not a problem and uh i don't know i can't remember other violent things we had the sock and bopper fights where's those inflatable yeah. uh punching gloves or whatever and then uh well we just 
hit so hard that you wouldn't feel the, the sock and bobber part. You just get punched in the face. So, uh, good times. That's that's the only studio that really was was fun in that regard. Now, obviously, some people got punched in the face, though. So, that's the negative. But all, all in all, it's good. I, I got to say right off the bat you are one of my favorite people i've ever had on here just the fact that some of these stories i have heard and like the wrestling matches i never heard the salt one i never <laughs> never heard the banana every time i talk to one of you guys i'm hearing something different and i i got to imagine that that the reason that you guys pumped out such an amazing cartoon and i don't mean to use pumped out like you guys are just saying fuck it just push the shit out but i pumped out I means you guys were working at a pretty decent pace pretty decent clip the stuff you guys were putting out is, is phenomenal. I got to imagine that a lot of that has to do with not only your deadline and the crunch and then Danny's extremely high bar for every episode, every board, every word, everything that goes in there, because this show was his baby. But you guys had, you know, a real family oriented mindset when you guys were wrestling, playing pranks, smashing pies, stealing bikes, doing this, doing that. I mean, I don't imagine that that really fed into the creativity of not only yourself, but the other artists, the other writers, the other, the other, um, the other crew and cast members. Um, was this the last time, you know, obviously Sausage Party is something completely different, but is this the last time you were kind of that free or has it always been, you know, not to the varying degrees, but I mean, has it always been pretty open, I guess, as far as playing no, pranks? That, that was the end. That was the end of an era after <laughs> after the Eds. Do you feel like and, you killed everywhere else? Everywhere else, we kind of worked. That you know, it's a lot more corporate. You know, you can't can't do stuff. You can't uh, pour salt in a guy's <laughs> wound or something. You get you go to HR. You know, so you. Yeah, it, that's definitely. Some people got a bit of the brunt of some of this uh, nonsense, but uh, definitely was the last time that much fun, I think, was had in a studio. At least for 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 what I know, for everyone who worked at AKA, I think would agree that that level of mayhem is unmatched. When when. When you work in an environment like that, is it easier to get into like a creative flow state? And I want to say flow state because it's such a douchey term. But I mean, is it easier to really get into your craft and really work when it's something like that where you guys work hard, but you play equally as hard as you guys work? So was it a little bit easier as far as jobs go to get into the mindset of drawing these characters? I think it kind of was a slow build and it became a necessity. The the loud music, the 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 yelling, the screaming, the you know, Pratt Falls. For for me anyway, that was like I never I would never wear headphones or ever tune out. Some people had to, uh, you know, especially people who came later in the game or like oh what what, what am i walking into a den of deg degradation <laughs> well, they put their headphones on and work but uh for me i oft, i really like the the loud and the, the yeah. crazy and it, i i could work i could work no problem in that environment and and then going to the other studios after was harder because it was so quiet and boring 
and everyone would put on their headphones, but I still couldn't commit to to headphones really. Um, I kind of just want some mayhem going on, but yeah. not didn't really ever happen again. But whatever. Now, what is what is your process like? Obviously, you say you've got pens and papers and sketch pads and all that stuff all over the house, man. But when you're sitting down and you've got to get storyboards done for your job, right? You're not just playing around. You're not just, you know, doodling just to pass some time. Um, what is your mindset now? Because obviously a lot of this shit has changed with COVID. So I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys are at home. Very rarely yeah. will you guys ever go anywhere when it comes to any kind of artist studio or anything like that. But so what is it? You just start turning on loud music, you're laying the lights on, the fans are going, the TV's going, the radio's going, that type of shit? Or are you more <laughs> relaxed and chilled at this point? In your uh, well, definitely more, more relaxed these days, working at home and alone, you know, uh, that's really the thing. There's no one to, to yell with. So I will have like whatever on on the computer, whatever music or video is playing. But yeah, there's not there's not a, a too big a level of insanity at this point. It's just like, all right, I know what to do. I'll put that on. I'll just get to it. Um, so it's you know it's possible to do it without the mayhem. But I guess it's it, and maybe maybe I couldn't do it the mayhem now. I don't know, but. Uh, definitely a good thing to look back on yeah do you've got a go-to now that if you're i don't know what it is if, if you guys have the same thing that some writers have where they just can't physically get what's up here on a piece of paper i got to assume that like fuck man i just can't get this character to look how i want it to look so is there like a go-to routine as far as you go like oh man if i put on this movie it's white noise or if i put on this song or something to just get the creative juices flowing so do you have a go-to whenever you start feeling blocked up or anything like that no, 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 I don't, man. Every I can't think of anything. I don't, I don't think I have, uh, I don't think I have anything like that. I'll just kind of keep, keep, keep at it till it works and then probably pass it and then come back and fix it later kind of thing. Now, when, when your days start, right? So not so much with AKA studios, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. But when your days start now, right? Are you an early riser when you when you start, you know, drawing and shit, or do you feel like you do better later hours, crazy hours? I'm gonna stay up for a little while because you hear all these varying stories about how yeah. artists do different things. But how do you do it? I uh, I used to be very much the late hours, early morning guy, get most of the good stuff done. I've settled into pretty standard day now because. Mm -hmm. With working remotely, having meetings, you know, there's a meeting 9 a.m., got to be there, meeting in, throughout the day. All right, I'm there. So I'm, I'm there in the, the regular day now. Um, so there's not, not, not much exciting to say about that. There's, it's it's uh, now the boring hours. I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. So is, w with your day structured now, Obviously, like you said, you're alone most of the time, unless you're doing a meeting face-to-face -face type of thing uh, when it comes to Zoom things like we're doing now. Um, but is it harder for you to, 
I don't want to say get up and just start drawing and shit because you don't have somebody to talk to or bounce stuff off of whenever you guys are doing it. Obviously you can just call somebody if you need something, but yeah. I mean, does it feel like it's harder to kind of get into the groove now? It's a little bit harder. It's, it's definitely a different, a different method. Cause now instead of that back and forth, as you're doing it, it's just kind of waiting to see how whatever it is you do gets um, received. And I've been working a lot in feature film. So it's, it's kind of different anyway, because um, you have the luxury of doing a sequence again and again and again and again, which is usually not the case in TV. So the collaboration kind of comes throughout the process. Like oh, I did it this way, get some feedback. Okay, I'll do it a different way get some feedback and so the sequence kind of keeps changing and morphing into what it's going to become so the collaboration is is more back and forth like after the fact if that makes any sense yeah no it 100 does it's like it's always fun to bounce stuff off of people because you start building a foundation man you start here and then by the time you guys are done talking you kind of ended up here and you guys can have some kind of general outline of where you're going to go how you're going to get there and what's going to come along the way man so 100 I, I get it um so as we start to transition more into what you were doing at aka man when you think of aka and all the fun you had with all the people that we've mentioned before man does any one i want to say day because it's just stupid sit there and say, hey, man, what about this day in Tuesday 20 years ago that you remember? Man, but when you think of AK, is there anything that comes right off the bat that you think of like, shit, man, that was that was great. Not so much a story, but like, do you have a feeling when you think about AK? What gets brought to the front of your mind when you think AK and the Ed Boys? It's, I think it's still my favorite job I've ever had. It's my favorite yeah. experience on an on a animated whatever so there there is that like it's it kind of um cemented my own style going forward because my style was still very malleable as i entered aka kind of grew and changed with the ed and Nettie aesthetic and so that became my method the the way of uh boarding on Ed's very much different than other shows where you just have a script and you draw what's on the page. So that that totally informed my style, my way of working. So definitely it's my favorite my favorite thing that I've I've worked on is is Ed and Eddie for sure. I mean, like I said, everybody that I've talked to says the same damn thing, man. You, how fun it was. I, like I said, you guys were in such a creative environment, man. It really pushed the artist. Danny was very artist forward, which you don't really hear about. They want everything on paper, especially now. You see some of the scripts that they have now for, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you do this for a living, but some of the scripts, they've got every single detail from the way somebody looks to how they look, to how they speak, to how their eyebrows are. You guys had to come up with a good, I don't, I don't want to go and overestimate, but like 75 to 85% of the shit going on in this thing, you guys had to come up with from the gags to the transitions to how they walk, to how they, 
you know, the, how they treated each other. I mean, it just goes to show you if you go and do something so many times, you're going to be really fucking good at it by the end of the day, man. And that's really what it shows at the end. You know, you guys went out there and drew and drew and drew and drew. And I keep fucking hitting this thing. You guys drew and drew and drew. And you guys came up with some really, really good shit. And when I say really good shit, it's not diminishing anything you've done, man. It's just me trying to encapsulate everything you guys have really done on this show. Um, when it when it comes down to it, man, if you had to think of one or two episodes that you really loved, whether it's yours or somebody else's that boarded for it, man, what two, maybe three episodes really come to mind? Uh, uh, one plus one equals Ed. <laughs> was um, definitely in there because that's – that's one of the first ones I kind of just was let go. Yeah, do do your weird stuff. I mean, and then later I, I probably would have done it differently, you know, after the fact. But at the time, like, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Just how how weird you could do. Like, uh, so that one plus one. And then um, a uh, couple other ones as well. Uh, I don't know what they are. <laughs> I don't know what they are at the moment. Um, take this head and shove it. That was a lot of fun. And um, there was like a version where it was it was called uh, Cartoon Hours. Like, That's too depressing when they're when they're elderly because I had boarded it. And there was pretty depressing. Like. The, <laughs> In the version that exists now, like Eddie is old and whatever, they can still run around and like freak out on stuff. But it, in the initial pass, he couldn't run. He was too old. Yeah. So he, it was just, he was trying to run and he was struggling with it. And it was very depressing. And like, I love doing that. And it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I love the way that the, the episode turned out. But I, uh, I do recall like the previous version and, and uh, even though none of it exists now, like I don't, I've looked through my stuff hoping I kept, you know, portions of it, but I, I don't have anything, but that one was, was a lot of fun. And, uh, and then uh, just some other one that I can't think of right now was also really important to me. <laughs> I really should send you some of this shit before I have you, have you guys on. Cause sitting here, it always feels like I'm sandbagging you guys. Seems like, hey man, you remember 20 <laughs> years ago when you did this shit? And I don't, I don't mean to. It's just like, no, that's all right. It's so vivid up here as a kid, man. It's imprinted. I mean, there's there's like seminal moments in your life that you can really call back to. Like you said, you know, taking this guy's bike, getting the pie smashed in your face and other things that happened. Uh, and I always like sharing this story, man. So when, when I was like, uh, I want to say 12 or 13 is when the show started coming out. I had gotten, just gotten a cockatiel at this time. Right. Oh yeah. And cockatiels, man, they mimic everything. And yeah. the one thing, and my bird's name was nacho. Cause I'm a fat kid. I love food. I love nachos. So man, hence, nacho the bird right so i remember this bird and every morning at six o'clock ed ed and eddie would come on it would start with like um what was it speed racer and then some other anime show and then it went straight into ed ed and eddie when i was getting up getting ready for school okay. um and this little bastard nacho in six months learned the entire ed ed and eddie theme song right so for six months he would you know he'd start with uh 
And that's what all we would do. And then he'd eventually get it up and piece, 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 piece. And eventually in six months, he had the entire fucking song. Oh, nice. It was until six months happened. And then I'm in summer, right? So I'm sitting here, I'm out of school, trying to sleep in, right? So whenever you get a bird, man, you put a little blanket over him so he knows it's nighttime. So he goes to sleep and shit. So this little asshole, it's six o'clock in the morning. I wasn't up, stayed up late, late the night before. He starts whistling at Ed and Eddie without <laughs> Joe being on. Right. And this little prick woke me up. He was the coolest fucking bird in the world, man. It broke my heart when it when uh, when he got away because uh, we never clipped his wings, you know. So okay, he would yeah. fly and shit. So he would get out of the room, and then me and my brother shit a room. So he'd shit on my brother's pillow and then fly and then shit fly and all this other crazy shit, right? So, um, but yeah, I had a bird that would whistle the entire edit any theme song. And as we start to do a little bit of a wrap up and wind down, man. Uh, there's always some questions that fans ask, and some of them are a little bit more poignant than others. And a lot of them are just really, really dumb, and you get asked them all the time. But I'd be remiss to not ask, and I'm not going to ask you what is under Double D's hat. But if you had to put something under Double D's hat, what would it be? I was a big proponent, a big proponent, as we were discussing it. I was a, I was really going towards. Oh, he just has a not, uh, it's not the best haircut. You know? <laughs> I didn't, I, I really wanted to not have like, you know, a, a third eyeball or a tentacle or, you know, some robotic part. I was, I was vying for, yeah, his haircut doesn't look so good and he gets teased. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big deal as a kid. So yeah. to be, have made a big deal of it, to me, it made sense. Like, and then it's kind of like a, you know, a, a bit of a letdown to the audience, which I thought was humorous, that it's just, ah, it's not a very good haircut. And it's, you know, the, it didn't necessarily, because we were, we, we had talked about reviewing it, mm-hmm. right, which is why it came up. So, yeah, I, I would just give him, a, uh, if it was up to me, I'd be just like, ah, he has a not as good haircut. So does he have a mullet or does he have a rat tail? No, that's you're getting too far now. See, <laughs> see that's I'm so, I'm talking about not too good of a haircut. Like that was decent. Like there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Right? But so, then the other kids are like, oh no, I don't like that. I'm gonna tease you about it. It it's always fun. I don't know why. as a kid I never really I never thought about it. I never thought like, oh, it was under, under Double D's hat. And it wasn't until I posed this question. And then literally the first seven questions are like, what's under the sock? What's under his hat? What's under his do-rag? Tell me, please, somebody. I just, I've never seen the fascination of like why, you know, people really wanted to know this one. But I, like I said, I'd be remiss not to ask. And then um, from a buddy of mine that's actually, have you gotten a chance or do you ever look at um, any of the fan art that, uh, that Ed, Ed and Eddie has kind of inspired? with the younger generation of animators? I I do come across it now and again. And and I've seen a little bit more now that I guess it's on HBO Max, uh, yeah. which I don't we don't get in Canada, so I don't know. But I have been seeing a few more like Ed, Ed and Eddie fan art on, on the internet lately. So, yeah, I have seen some and some very smutty stuff too, you know. That's very <laughs> prominent. 
Have you gotten a chance to see, uh, there's an animator out of Australia, his name is George Abingdon. He does Peach Creek, which is, um, I think it's the final year in high school of the Ed Boys and the, the cul-de-sac crew. Have you seen that? Uh, it, I think I have. It rings a bell. Um, and it has like, is, is that the one that we start and there's like a newspaper blowing in the yeah. wind? Peach Creek Tattler or whatever. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, the, the the guys the guys fucking young as shit too, man. He's I don't even think he's turned twenty one yet or something like that. I, I had him on the podcast very very early on. Oh really? Yeah. He's now, I, I, I if I were to uh, something I might add to if he could add to it would be to incorporate into that future realm of the Eds, which some some that might be cool is is uh, let's see what's happened with. Uh, Kevin's bike at this point. <laughs> I'll uh, if, I'll make sure I. If you're listening, uh, maybe maybe put that in there. Oh well, that's uh, I've got a couple questions from him because he he messes me on his way home. He was listening to the Big Jim episode not too long ago, um, and I always like I always like putting him out there because it's it's always nice to see somebody that takes something that meant some so much to somebody at such a young age and really wants to pay you know homage to it or they, they want to go out there yeah. they, they want to tell what they feel is the reason that they like this show so much they want to get their message across using these characters that they held so you know so tightly and like i said he's such a fucking good guy and what he's doing out there with peach creek is really fun because you see you see when somebody takes something as far as like not their properties right yeah they make something out of somebody else's stuff um, and then a lot of times people just do it and they, they just seem like they spit on it. But this guy's really doing something uh, that's, that's really, really fun. He had a couple questions. And then he said, for storyboard, storyboard artists and animators, what's your process for pushing? And he put that in quotes. So I'm, I'm hoping that you might know what that means. Mm -hmm. Pushing drawings and poses. Hmm. Well, I do know what he means. And it's, it's all about... Um, it's all about that good old line of action that uh, Preston Blair talks about. And uh, once you um, establish what kind of pose you're doing, um, and if you want to push that drawing, it's it's not about now taking the in individual portions, not about his arms and his head moving that around, but you look at that line of action and try to pu push that line of action, make that line of action stronger. So if he's bending over and he's bending over more or he's you know adding that little bit more to it and streamlining the pose to fit that line of that line of action that's the that's getting a really strong pose like it's all the all the pieces are fitting into that line of action and and when you when you see a pose that's yeah it's not so good it's usually because there's some element that's that's sticking out of the line of action it's not it's not pointing to where you want your eye to to be looking so that's usually the case for for a lot for pushing a pose and then the same goes for expression like you know the elements of the expression can be incorporated into a line of action that can be um pushed further and you know in the direction of of where you want it to go along so if someone's pointing and that line of action is really going to be pointing like as an arrow to to where 
I'm just, I'm just saying words right now. I'm kind of recycling stuff that I've heard over the years, but I think uh, he should get the gist. I mean, he, he knows about pushing the poses, so it's now it's just like, okay, what, what, what's the method? And that, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I would do. Um, one of the benefits of digital drawing is uh, flopping it mm -hmm. and having a look to see if it looks really crappy uh, in a reverse and you can kind of see what is crappy and it's often the line of action oh that doesn't look good at all and the characters will be like skewed or uh, have some sort of demented um mutation and that's where you can fix that yeah got you um and then the uh, other one he's like and another i watched two videos he did years ago and he stressed out years um uh tutorials on how to draw ed and eddie has yeah. he ever thought about creating his own youtube channel covering the basics of drawing cartoons like the line of action anatomy posing keeping drawings consistent and etc hmm there's that line of action again um yeah i have thought about it and it's just something that is not is is a little bit farther back on the burners right now yeah. because i'm just Got a lot of shit going on. Yeah, got a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. trying to add that to the mix would be problematic for getting for getting stuff done. But I, I do I do like that idea and it's something I would like to explore at some point, but uh I don't know how if it's in the cards um specifically. But um the tricky part about stuff like that is like some of it is just like I don't know the answer, so it's like, um, okay, how do you how do you do this specific thing? Uh, keeping a character consistent. Okay, today's video, I don't know. <laughs> I guess you know you try really hard. I don't know. That's how you're gonna be <laughs> number one artist being followed on fucking yeah. YouTube for tips. It won't it won't have enough. Um, length to it to you know get the clicks no oh, man fuck it you don't need it's not about how clicks. I, was, I was about to say it's not how long it is i was going to say girth but that's something completely different um but uh you know it, it it's the sustenance that's in it it's not so much how long it is it's the sustenance in it. i get you yeah no i, I think know. I, it's a good idea i like it i just i don't know i don't know i don't know if it's going to happen it might one day, man. And like I said, as soon as that happens, you're never going to have to go and draw for an animation studio again. You're going to be doing everything on YouTube. You're going to be self-sufficient. You're like, fuck it. How do I draw this circle? I don't know, man. Just draw a circle and we'll just keep drawing it until we get it right, man. So <laughs> that's, that's it. The, 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 I don't know. I don't know. It's like called, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I guess give it a go. Because I, I remember those videos I, I drew. And I, I don't think I've watched them since that was filmed. I do know what he's talking about, though. I remember them being filmed, but, like, I remember talking about drawing Eddie, and it was, like, not a very good Eddie or something, but I was just, like, kind of spouting off stuff, <laughs> trying to trying to make it make sense. But I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I do. I just draw Eddie. I don't know. Strong. Hey, man. I, I did talk about line of action. If you ever stumped if someone asks you a question like on a zoom meeting or something they're like hey 
and you just you kind of bring up the line of action and then you just kind of cover <laughs> your bases <laughs> have you ever are you a stand-up comedy fan at all i like stand-up comedy i i don't i'm not a regular um watcher of it but but yeah have you ever seen, a, have you ever seen bill burr any anything from bill burr oh yeah bill burr like bill yeah. burr I don't know if you remember. He, he he's like I, he's like I walked into a gun store and he was she's trying to sell me something. He's like the shotgun. He's got a good spread, you know, a good spread. So every time I hear line of action, I think of good spread when he's trying to sell the fuck. Yeah, it's like a keyword. Yeah, <laughs> put it in. So uh, so we got one from Big Jim. Oh, uh, you could ask him about Ed's love of chickens, the origin mm -hmm. of Wilfred the pig. And the time he uh, the time he hit uh, Woody's bike, but we already got to that one. Mm -hmm. So Ed's love of chickens. Ed's love of chickens started in oh, what's it called? Um, the episode where they have to trade stuff, and like Kevin wants a he has a thing of sawdust, but he wants them to paint the shed yeah. uh, to get the sawdust or whatever. And in that episode, there was something to do with eggs. Eddie wanted to make an omelet or something. Anyway, Ed had to get the eggs. And I'm trying, this is a long time ago. But there was like, okay, what? It wasn't figured out just a specific Edism to go with it. Like it was, we don't want it to just be like a standard cartoon where they they do a to b and then you hopefully laugh so what character uh what character motivation could we bring into it and so and i think it was me i think it was me that did this but i could be proven wrong because it was it, it's so tucked away in the memories but because i had a affinity for chickens mm -hmm. i thought well uh, let's let ed have that too and so in in that episode planted the seed of ed's love for chickens and it it worked it it blew up for ed and that became one of his uh character motivations uh his just love for chickens and i and it and it came because i i would i had chickens and I really loved chickens, and I thought, well, let's put let's put a piece of that, because that, and that's with everything, like doing cartoons or, or doing these aren't my characters, mm -hmm. but I, I'm imbuing them with what I know, and so Ed became a lover of chickens. I'm 98% sure that was my idea, but again, there's a chance, there's a chance that might not be, but I'm pretty sure it is. So we just had an artistic flair there. You know that, right? I asked you that, that question earlier. Like, what what could you pick out that you put in there that was specifically oh. Underwood? Man, we just figured it out, dude. Because well, you can edit this part and put it over there. <laughs> but yeah, and then it it became a bit of an issue. Um, not really, but it was kind of like a hmm, what have we done here? Because it had already been established at that point in the series, like Ed taking out like a fully cooked chicken yeah. out of his uh, chair in his room. So then there was a kind of a bit of a weird thing where like, well, what, uh, 
Thought he loved chickens. I'm not sure why there's a fully cooked chicken in his chair. But then they're like, oh, maybe Sarah put it there. Yeah, yeah, Sarah put it there. And then there's an episode later in in season four, I believe, where he like, takes out four or five of them out of his chair. Kind of a nod to that original thing. And uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the chickens, the chickens' tail. Chicken arm, um, if you will. And then Rolf would have various numbers of chickens, and for them to react to. But yeah, his love of chickens. And then definitely, definitely ninety eight percent was me. We're gonna call it a hundred percent, and that's just a Scott. That's a Scottism, if you will. Um, John will probably come. No, I wrote that in the in the <laughs> script that he loves chickens, based on my own childhood. He said he'll say. Well, I mean, it's it's completely plausible that John might have had chickens too, but we're gonna say Scott did it, and it's a Scottism. Oh, let's say it. Let's say it, and then we'll just put it out. Proven wrong. There's evidence to the contrary. I'd like to see it. <laughs> And then the last thing he, uh, Big Jim was saying was uh, the origin of Wilfred the pig. Mm. Uh, well, that episode where he first, wrote, where Rolf first says the pig's name is Wilfred, if I remember correctly the order, uh, that was one of the couple episodes where there was a, a dedication at the end of the episode and that was to my very best friend uh growing up a fellow by the name of sean who we would call wilfred uh that was his middle name which he did not like to be called <laughs> and so that's what we called him and by we like we fully incorporated this guy into aka culture where he he, he didn't work there by any means but on the weekends, Friday nights, uh, get Wilfred out and have pizza and drink and do whatever it is we're gonna do. So he was right in there and part of the part of the family, if you wanna if you wanna use that term. And so uh, Danny, it was actually Danny's doing um, because uh, Danny was also. Uh, a fan of Wilfred, Sean Wilfred, and I'm, I'm sure he was. And unfortunately, uh, he passed away. And so Danny took it on himself to kind of to honor Sean is to give him. <laughs> and it was funny because we would have called him a pig in, in real life. So let's give this pig uh, the name of Wilfred and, and that, that, pig became Wilfred the pig and it just stuck and it was kind of like a, a an, an honor an honorarium for for Sean who was um, a very big part of my life but also uh, by extension part of the aka family um, and so that was a, a bit of an honor for for him but of course he never he never got to see it because I, I doubt they play Cartoon Network in the afterlife well uh all things aside it's just, man it's just nickelodeon in the afterlife <laughs> it's funny you bring up nickelodeon i'll get to that in just a second but uh 
Thank you for sharing that story. You didn't have to. Um, well, you asked me the question because Jim's a jerk. He's like, ah, yeah, I'll make him uncomfortable. I know what to say. <laughs> I'll have a question. Well, right. uh, like I said, man, you could have completely skipped over it. <laughs> I I appreciate you sharing that with me, man. No, it's, it's all good. I'm 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 I was myself honored by extension that Danny did that for for Sean and and it's still one of the the proudest moments of of my kind of uh, career you know uh, I remember showing uh, Sean's parents that I brought over that the VHS and played the the tape for them and then I don't you know they they're just kind of like yeah. oh so you call my son a pig right eh? well, great well nonetheless man he'll he'll be immortalized as wilfred the pig <laughs> as time goes on man and i don't mean that as a disparaging remark but it, it is it is a beautiful sentiment no matter how you look at it that um even though he's not here he's still here if that makes sense you know um and like i said thank you for sharing me you could have like i said you could have completely no, no i i i don't i don't mind i he was a uh, a, a part of the aka he was at all the aka parties he was at all the the events i think i brought him to one and i made him wear a dress because i'm like no i have to bring a date <laughs> so he wore a dress he was very obliging in that regard yeah so, so who, yeah. Picked up, who picked up the check that night was it you or was it that a- was all on i think that was probably all on danny's tab if it was an aka party so that would be good That'd be good. And I think we bought, I think I bought the rest at Value Village that, that morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, thank you for sharing that. So we got a couple more and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Um, uh, some of these we've already, we've really talked to. And some of these are going to get real, real nerdy. Um, she, her name is Gloom Chickadee uh, from Reddit. Um, she wants to know, why was Eddie's yellow tongue changed to green? In season ah. one. He had a yellow tongue and the rest of the series he had a green tongue i like that question and i yeah i like that question and i was well aware of that change because um it was only it was only to see it better that was that was really the only reason mm-hmm. um because it it wasn't bad that it was yellow but because his shirt was yellow it was often you're like ah, i don't know what i'm looking at here or, or, or the color would pop or they'd color the the tongue, the shirt yellow or something. So just to make it more different and stand out more. That it was a very, you know, um, to the to the point, um, matter of fact thing. And and I tried to bring back the yellow tongue um, in the flashback episode, um, but it didn't it didn't work out for whatever reason. Because I I was well aware of that the yellow tongue fiasco. Mm-hmm. And it and it works well within the, their parameters because their tongues are only that color because of the candy they eat. So I guess in season one, Eddie's favorite jawbreaker was the lemon zinger, mm-hmm. whereas uh, throughout the rest of his childhood, it was the lime, the lime. Yeah, gotcha. that's the real answer. That's the real answer. I never. It, it's always funny seeing some of the questions that people ask because. I looked at it as just entertainment, you know, like I, my brain does not work where I can sit here 
and remember a panel of like I can remember like panels of comics and stuff like that or you know little lines here and there from movies especially movies man I'm the fucking worst I can pull up a fucking movie quote or a tv quote out of nowhere for no goddamn reason my brain worked for math and science I'd probably be saving somebody from cancer or AIDS or some shit like that yeah, yeah. it works for movies and tv shows and comic books, <laughs> so I'm pretty much stuck to to doing what I do for a living but nonetheless man so she goes a little bit deeper okay why was it decided to change the color of the inside of Eddie's sleeves to purple instead of yellow in season one, you can see the inside of his sleeves are yellow, like his shirt, instead of purple, like the ends of his sleeves. After season one, they changed the inside of the sleeves to be purple. Excellent question. Excellent. Now, I don't have any in-universe good answers for that. Let's see if I can think of one. But I'm sure that all that, all that happened was when the colorist, Bonnie, would have been putting the tongue to green. For the new model going mm -hmm. forward, it's probably just a and I don't know this for sure, but it was probably just a thing of like, oh hey, wait a minute, that would look better if that was purple, so I'll go ahead and fill that in too. Probably just made it pop, just like the tongue. It cover. just made it. It just made it uh, pop better. Just made it look better. But an in-universe uh, answer would be Eddie's brother. His old clothes had the yellow inside of the sleeves. But after season one, Eddie's mom locked those shirts into Eddie's brother's closet. And so Eddie had no access to them. And the manufacturer of those bowling shirts had now switched to a cheaper fabric, which would absorb the dye from the cuffs and thereby... <laughs> Uh, color the inside of the shirt purple how often did you get out of trouble because you would just go off the cuff and just start explaining stuff see i didn't do it because of because you, <laughs> you seem very very good at getting out of shit and just coming up with stuff like right off the bat man i've i've been lucky to get out of a few jams yeah <laughs> uh so I will say that, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know that it's. Uh, I don't. I don't have any good tales about it. It certainly didn't get me out of um, getting uh, a beat down at the AKA uh, uh, <laughs> wrestling match. So, um, in fact, I think my because uh, we would just tease constantly, and then there would be people that we would tease, and then. At AKA, and then all of a sudden one day I I would just get tackled or taken <laughs> down, taken down, deservedly so, right? But yeah, the the uh, the uh, the mouth didn't didn't always help. Didn't help. <laughs> um, and it's funny you bring up Eddie and Eddie's uh, Eddie's brother and Eddie's clothes because that was her uh, her final part, but she's got one more in between there. And all of these are really about colors, which I, I really got to go back and watch this stuff a little bit more deeper and look at the back. I like I like these kind of nuanced questions. I don't always have the answer, but I do I do like them. So yeah, shoot. I mean, she went all out. I mean, like I said, she's got like a fucking half page paragraph here. Okay. Um, is there a reason why the Eds each have a color they wear the most besides their usual colors? And why were those colors chosen for each Ed? Ed wears blue, like his blue pajamas and blue helmet. Double D wears yellow, like his yellow swimming trunks, yellow pajamas, and yellow helmet. 
And Eddie wears red, like his red swimming trunks and red helmet. Okay, so the answer is yes, there's a reason. So next question. <laughs> and this is the last one from Gloom Chickadee. Was there already a design made for Eddie's brother before Big Picture Show, or was it made while working on Big Picture Show? I know in Ed, pass it on, there was a fake Eddie's brother that was just some of the kids. So I wanted to know if they actually had a completed design for Eddie's brother before Big Picture Show. I think the yep. fake Eddie's brother had the same shirt, but the fake one also looked different than the real one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the answer is no, there was not a design for Eddie's brother. And when Corey designed him, he did definitely, you know, use all the clues that have been given in the show uh, to to incorporate into the design. But uh, if if stuff didn't quite work, like the silhouette of kids looking like the brother, well, like you don't want to stick to your guns on that, and then. You know, you finally reveal Eddie's brother and he has the silhouette of Sarah on Jimmy's head like that. It's not going to work. So, um, yeah, the, like stuff that was planted in the series was incorporated into his design, but not not verbatim. He, he definitely wasn't designed because there was never. Until the big picture show, it was never thought that he would ever be revealed. So I think there's like a silhouette of what might be him in a picture on the wall or something uh but that's it yeah yeah he wasn't he wasn't designed by them got you and then uh we got two here two here from jono and he uh, said ask him about rita mcneil and he told me to google her so i did um you already answered the feelings for chickens um so we'll st we'll start with rita mcneil rita mcneil is by far one of Canada's most treasured icons, okay? Now she's she's no longer with us, but she was a singer with incomparable talent. Now, uh, what's the connection? The I was really wanted I was working on a show pitch. Uh even back, yeah, back in the Ed days, obviously, that I wanted a show called Tapeworm Joe versus Rita McNeil. And um, the idea was there was this tapeworm that wanted to go and live inside of Canada's treasured songstress, Rita McNeil. And so I would do all my research on, on Rita and uh, I had even planned to go and see if I could visit Rita to pitch my idea to her. Unfortunately, she passed away before I could do that. But um, Rita McNeil, after studying her so much, just became, you know, uh, just so amazed by her that it came part of uh part of part of my own history part of my own artistic history that rita knows nothing about and that i'm afraid that show might never might never get off the ground but i did i even did like a little bit of like rudimentary animation 
for it, character designs, um, stuff like that. Because I thought what the world needs is a, a show with Canada's treasured songstress, Rita McGee, and also a parasitic uh, <laughs> worm. That that might be the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. How far, with the exception of Rita not hearing it, how far did that get? Like, did you storyboard it completely? At least no, I didn't storyboard it. I kind of made a Bible, like a pitch Bible, and uh, like story synopsis, character designs, and I I kind of worked on and off on Tapeworm Joe over the years. <laughs> So there is there is a bit of uh, tapeworm Joe. Like if you go through my social media junk, you'll see you'll yeah. see him appear here and there. Um, and I'll send you. I'll I I think I can send it to you right now over this chat. Yeah, so just an image of tapeworm Joe. Just so you know what we're talking about, right? Um. <laughs> You can edit out the the boring part where I'm like scrolling through my phone. No, not at all. We're leaving. We're leaving all of this in. This this leads to the mystique. Uh, we're building suspense here, Scott. Where's the video? <laughs> Documents. Oh, oh, who would you have pitched this to if if you could have got it off the off the off the ground? Who would you have pitched it to as far uh, as ago? Nickelodeon did see a version of it. Really? Um, what were the notes you got back? <laughs> Uh, the notes were, we don't believe a kid can identify <laughs> with a parasitic worm. Oh, fuck. And so I pitched it a couple other places too. Um, and I, I hope this, I just clicked on some, so if it might interrupt uh, the sound here. But yeah, no, I, and, and then I later kind of revamped it after Rita's untimely death mm -hmm. to include other characters instead of Rita McNeil. So that was a thing. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say I've given up on Tapeworm Joe. Like he might be my legacy character that just comes back uh, at some point. He's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I feel like this should be episode one of your new YouTube series, Tapeworm Joe. <laughs> well, I'll find I'll find uh, the clip and I'll send it to you, and you can, at your discretion, put it put it in here with this, this oh. video or not. But I can't I make sure we hit right pause now. and then we'll put it in there and then we'll pick it back up. Uh, my uh, my tech guy is very very good because I am very very dumb when it comes to anything. Okay, cool. Yeah, Tapeworm Joe, he's uh, he's a good guy. It's fantastic. Uh, last two, uh, yeah, two. Um, oh, before I, before I, before we continue, <laughs> since it was Jono that asked about Rita, I, I feel it's only fair to let you know that aside from Tapeworm Joe, my own parasitic creation, Jono and I had worked on another idea called. Uh, leechy, which was about a leech. That was the next one. <laughs> oh, is that was that seriously the next question? 
I don't know if you can. I'll uh, I'll screenshot it to you and I'll send it. I'll send it to your uh, to your Instagram. But uh, yeah, he <laughs> he said uh, the the leechy one. Um, yeah, we wanted to make a movie where this leech uh, ends up on a on a fella's nutsack, reproductive organs, shall we say, <laughs> and thus inhibits his. Uh, libido in such a way that audiences will enjoy it please tell me you pitched that to disney (laughs) (laughs) we never got that in front of the mouse but uh i think maybe there's still there's still still room for lychee and and in this current streaming services that's episode two of your youtube series that we were talking about earlier um where uh so he asks he has said, ask about Rita McNeil. And I sent you the screenshot for it. He said, Google her. His feelings for chickens. We answered that one. Leechy the leech. Where buttered toast and sponges come from. Um, does Ed have a learning disability? His experiences on Sausage Party and how he came to do a voice was all uh, all Jono said. Why do you have so many questions? You shouldn't be allowed that many. <laughs> uh, I'll answer maybe one of them. Uh I don't know I, the the sponges and the buttered toast. Not me, so I, I can't answer that. I, that must have been someone else. It was probably. I remember there was sponges in the wall or something, but that again, that wasn't one of my that wasn't my my doing. So that question's answered. The other one was what? Uh, does Ed have a learning disability? And your experiences on Sausage Party and how he came to do a voice. And then he put the little hmm emoji in there. So mm. Mm. the uh, sausage party. I just skipped that other one. Um, sausage <laughs> party was uh, a close second of my best jobs. Mm-hmm. Just because it was so insane. It was just an insane movie, and but a really cool uh experience making it yeah Uh, a lot of freedom to explore the script and the characters um and ultimately it it is a writer's uh cartoon like it's not cartoony per se even though the the characters kind of exhibit that that cartoony Mm -hmm. aesthetic so that part of it um is a thing but how i got to do a voice was often for feature films and and to a large part tv productions nowadays the the film is cut is edited with a a a scratch track so just random people in the office doing the voices because they haven't settled on what the lines are going to be they're not going to bring in the actors and pay them big money multiple times to do dialogue that's wrong so uh, i did the scratch track for a lot of the characters in that movie and long story short um they were received well enough that uh uh conrad vernon greg tiernan and seth rogan were all like well let's just let's just use them for Mm -hmm. the final characters and uh 
not much of a story there. So they're like, yeah, let's use them. And then I had to battle the union to actually be able to do that. But at the end of the day, well, because I was not a union participant and uh, the union rules is it has to be someone in the union doing the uh, voice roles for a, a mainstream uh, motion picture, I guess. I don't know the nuances, but yeah, so now I've I had to join the union after that. And so now I'm in the union and I do little bits of voice here and there. But of course, drawing is still my main thing. Mm -hmm. That's how that happened. Um, I even tried, there was a time like I tried out for voice on Ed and Eddie. Now, obviously, there was never guest characters to be a voice, but this was like early on. And then, yeah, that didn't go well. That was pretty. You remember who you. Who, who that was Rolf. It was Rolf. Really? Yeah. What was Scott Underwood Rolf sound like? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I actually had a, I had Peter on. That was the episode I released last week. Um, fantastic guy, the voice of Rolf. Oh, yeah many other many other things he had some of the funniest uh, oh shit i gotta plug this thing in uh he had some of the funniest um voices or stories excuse me um that i've heard as far as the aka studios go and that's kind of where i don't mean to block you out here that's kind of where all the uh i always like to ask what's everybody's favorite aka story and that kind of came from peter because he kind of dovetailed into a whole bunch of different shit from the wrestling matches that that would go on and all that other shit and that's kind of where where that came to man but uh we just did an hour and a half man i don't know if it went by quick for you but it went by quick for me i had fun i mean the entire rita mcneil story i hope beyond hope that that comes i mean you fucking did a voice for seth rogan like hey seth man i gotta talk to you i'm pretty sure he's got rita up there on his scale as far as you know uh canadian well being that seth is canadian he probably I'm going out on a limb here. He probably values Rita McNeil as a uh, upstanding Canadian artist. Well, I tell you what, as soon as this episode drops, and I think I'm going to drop this episode this coming Friday, um, I'll make sure when I tag everybody in this video, because I always go and say, hey, this is a new video type of thing. I'll make sure I do it to Seth Rogen. He'll never look at it because, you know, who the fuck is this redheaded dude from Florida? Well, you should probably test uh, tag uh, Rita McNeil as well because uh, obviously she's not going to see it, but her fans will definitely oh, it, track. It will be tagged, and I'll make sure I put in skip to dot, 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 <laughs> dot so we can right. talk about it. Um, but nonetheless, man, this has been a very, very fun uh, time. Just talking to you, man. This this show meant so much to me as a little kid, and it means even more to me as an adult, man. Going back and re-watching a lot of the shit that I had uh, just loved as a child, it just completely solidified the fact of how great this cartoon was, man. And you were such a huge portion, like the names we've mentioned with Jim and Danny and Mike and John and everybody else that I could not sit here and list because it added another 30 minutes to it. Um, you know, so what I'm pretty much getting at, Scott, man, thank you for your contribution on the show and thank you for what you continue to do, man. I absolutely loved Sausage Party. Me and my wife have never laughed at a cartoon together, let alone a cartoon about hot dogs and buns fucking. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it's an experience being able to talk to you, man. Um, like I hey, said, my pleasure. It's been a good, good time. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Uh, 
Is there anything that, I know I asked this question earlier, but is there anything that you can talk about that you're working towards that we can push traffic towards? Um, or is there anything that you would like to say to the fans? I always open this up for, you know, for you guys to sit here and say whatever you want to say, um, you know, because there are fans out there that absolutely love what you guys do and they don't get the chance to talk to you like I have, or they just, and they don't care enough to, you know, reach out to people and really say thank you. So that's why I do it. I said, thank you. Um, but is there anything that we can kind of push traffic towards you working on a book, you working on a new cartoon, you working on something that we can say, Hey man, look for this in the fall, look for this in the winter. Um, nothing right now. Cause I'm kind of in the middle of some stuff that I'm not talking about just yet, but, uh, as stuff comes, up okay I just, i'll just kind of mention it on on my instagram or whatever where can they but, find your instagram at ah uh, it's well first you go on to instagram <laughs> and then it's scott diggs two g's and that's all one one word scott diggs and so i have some stuff coming up that i'll, I'll mention on there it's kind of my own personal projects but they're they're almost ready so i'll, I'll take one out some there there's no shape room yet, but he's not, he's not out of the picture. He's, he's on the back burner. Yeah. But uh, like I said, man, it, it's been fun. Thank you for everything you did for me as a little kid. And even as an adult, man, I, I absolutely loved it. Like I said, this episode is probably coming on Friday um, and it's just going to continue the Ed boys train, man. It's, it's been awesome. Uh, I can't wait to have you back on down the road when we can actually talk about the shit you're working on. And hopefully by then we'll at least have a full series of tapeworm meets Rita or Rita. Oh, meets. yes. What would be the working title for that one? What do you think? Uh, of the show itself? Yeah. What do you think that name would be? Well, it was, it was, it was like a, uh, like a, you know, wrestling poster. Tapeworm Joe versus Rita McNeil. So that that was the name of the show. Tapeworm versus Rectum Rita, right? Got it. So. No, no, no. No. That's... <laughs> but nonetheless, man, he's been Scott. I've been Julian. Meet your fucking heroes, man, because they're fantastic. This has been the What's in My Head podcast, and I'll check you guys later. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.